Hi there, golf fanatics. Thank you so much for tuning in again. We've got a very special treat today. Uh, we have got a fantastic coach, somebody I really look up to. But once again, what's our objective? Why do we do this podcast? It is to help you, the everyday golfer, ultimately go out there and have more fun. I know Mark Blackburn is going to share some invaluable nuggets with all of us. Uh, pertaining to coaching, pertaining to getting better, and ultimately just pertaining to interacting with people. So stay tuned. And once again, this podcast, episode three, is sponsored by golfanatics.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Andrew Rice. We created Golfanatics so that we could share complex information in simple, understandable, uncluttered language that you can take to the golf course. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have a special guest today, the 2020 PGA Teaching and Coaching Coach of the Year. Uh, very special friend to me. Uh, certainly, he's, he's got a, you'll hear he's got a little bit of a strange accent, but Mark does something that not many coaches manage to do, and that is he has a stable of tour players that he attends to just about each and every week. And then he's got members that he teaches. He lives in Alabama and he's got me a membership that he tends to as well. He's certainly got some staff at his golf course in Birmingham, Alabama that help him out. But he works with the everyday golfer and he works with tour players. And I know he's going to have some tremendous insights. Mark, thanks so much for tuning in. Eh? Yeah, thanks, buddy. Great to see you. Happy New Year. Oh, you too. You too. Uh, I always wonder what uh, up until what point can we say Happy New Year? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the uh, national championship football game last night. So I think after that, now we're officially into, because they're really the 2020 champions, although yeah. it's 21. So now we're officially into 2021. So I guess we're like less than 360 days until Christmas. So uh, we're three, we're in 2021 now. So no more happy it's new year. It's, a, it's official. That was it. <laughs> hey, Mark, you know, that, that's an interesting point with you living in Alabama and, and you've been there quite a while, I believe. Yeah. Um, who is your team? Do you support Alabama or Auburn? Um, so I would, I'm a Southern Miss graduate. So we used to play Alabama um, and they used to kind of make fun of us. So I would say I've always, and my, I'm a big Auburn fan, like my wife's family's all Auburn fans. But kind of over the years, I would say, Although I dislike Alabama, I do really like their coaching staff and Saban kind of personifies all the things that I like. So I have a lot of admiration for the way he runs his program and the, what he does and his coaching tree. And that's something that, you know, I try and emulate with our coaches. So it's one of those things I've, I'm all kind of in awe of that whole program and what it does. And a lot of my really good friends are actually Alabama fans. And then some of them even played for um, Saban. So it's one of those okay. things when you start to learn the intricacies of what goes on, it's pretty impressive. And especially like in the era we are now where you'd argue that there's a lot more uh, sort of college programs that are really good. Uh, I know you're a Georgia fan. So the, the thing is, it's yeah. impressive what they're able to do. So I would say last night, I was kind of pulling for Alabama because I wanted to see, I'd like to see him win as many as possible because I just think it's awesome. So it's, it's one of those things I enjoy sports. So I enjoy watching it. I used to get really, really angry when Alabama would play well. And now I'm kind of, I'm at the <laughs> point now where I've taken the perspective of, Hey, if you can't beat them, join them. And it, like, I just like look at Saban and what he does. It's incredible. It's just like a factory. Like next year he's supposed to have O'Brien from Houston. He kind of, 
is one of these guys that brings coaches in that have struggled and then turns their career around and then sends them back out. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Like he, he, he's helping everybody. So as I'm an Alabama guy. I'm an Auburn fan, diehard, but we can't seem to get our football program sorted out down on the plane. So I'm kind of enjoying the Alabama success and saving and what he does. Yeah. And, you know, in certainly in South Carolina, we've had uh, Clemson's had some good success. Uh, and my oldest son went to South Carolina. And so it's a similar uh, crux that we face here in South Carolina. You've got Gamecocks and you've got Tigers. And I must say, like you, much like yourself, I'm a South Carolina diehard. Uh, but I'm quite happy to root for Dabo and Clemson and, and to see what they do. So it's the same kind of challenge we face here. Speaking of coaches outside of the realm of golf, Mark, who would, who would you love to spend a day with? And certainly Nick Saban, I'm sure, is on the list. But there, there may be somebody else that you would love to spend a day with and just observe and learn from. Yeah, so I definitely think I look at coaches that have done some things that are incredible so like I as a coach myself I never had one influence or one mentor like I could never say this one person really influenced me I've had lots of different influences so it's really it's a great question so I've done a few presentations on coaches and then I kind of look at ones in different sports so there isn't one but like I'll give you some like so saving would be really interesting um Phil Jackson would be really interesting. The coach yes, for the Bulls co- and the he Lakers. He comes to my mind, yeah. Alex Ferguson. Obviously, I'm a diehard Liverpool fan, but again, I really <laughs> respect what Ferguson did. And if you read Ferguson's biography, what's really interesting is how he has a chapter for each player and how he kind of refers in his interaction with the players and how he treated them all differently. And I think, you know, that's very similar to working with the gamut of players that we work mm. with on our continuum you have to you know we talk about this be a chameleon you got to be able to adjust and talk to different personalities i i'm actually quite interested in um I'd, I'd also like to talk to someone who's done some stuff like now in sports like jürgen klopp he's a liverpool i'm a liverpool guy i like Magic. him Magic. um it's more i'm more interested in um coaches that have done things over a period of time, like Steve Kerr would be interesting too, because he's created a really interesting culture. Pop at San Antonio's created a really interesting culture. So I'm very interested in the cultures that coaches create mm. and the way, the way that they go about it. I think to me, that's fascinating because you want to look at coaching people is about how do you motivate someone and get them to accomplish a task, right? I think all of us that coach different sports, I think you and I could jump in and go coach any sport. It's our interaction and the ability to help people do something is that is that's really what our skill set is, our communication skills, our ability to adapt. Some people need a kick in the ass. Some people need a hug. And it's knowing when to do that. So I'm very I'm in, I'm interested in looking beyond um, the sort of if you look like at the skill level and the technical piece, because I think that we're at a point now where we've got so many access to so many different ways to do it and so many experts that you can bring in that the end Mm. of the day the player still wants someone to communicate it to them so I'm always fascinated by the coaches and the people who've been really successful doing it the way they do it does that make sense and and Mm. I'm really interested in that and it come coaches come in all shapes size and forms and it's really interesting and so so those are some of the people that I yeah sure would enjoy 
some time with, but it's one of those things. It's more about how they would go about and how they get people to do things. Not so much yeah. the, the crossover of the technical pieces, the X's and O's I don't think are actually that, uh, uh, that complex. I think it's yeah. more the individual and the, 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 the person, right? Mm. And I, I love so much of what you said there because it's their culture. And to me, the essence of great coaching is to be able to get each unique individual to dig deep and be their best ultimately, no matter who they are or what their personality is or what their skill set is, really. How can they maximize their potential? And I love watching Jurgen Klopp, who's the, the head coach, just for somebody who might be listening who doesn't know. Jurgen Klopp is the head coach of Liverpool, who for the last couple of years, I, I would say, arguably uh, has been the best team, football team, soccer team in the world. I love watching his interviews. And he always says, ah, the boys, they were great today. The boys were great today, you know, and it's, and it's his family really. And that's, that's how he seems to seems to speak about it. And there just seems to be that great culture and connectivity that he's created with his players. Yeah, no, you, and here's the thing. Once you have that, it's infectious, right? Like I remember yeah. listening that a coach needs to be like a virus. He needs to like basically get into everybody. And I think it's a great analogy. And it's one of those things where if you've got the right culture amongst your players, whilst golf is an individual sport, right? Especially at the tour level, you have a lot of players, but people learn from each other. Social learning is a massively important thing, even at the highest level, like people's interpretation of things and learning to hit different shots and in different situations is really, really powerful. And I think if you create the culture where people are willing to be vulnerable, that's massively important. If you're willing to be vulnerable, now you've got an opportunity to learn and don't be scared of failure, embrace it. Failure is the first attempt in learning, right? And essentially, if you listen to anybody and you listen to any stoicism and you look at anybody that's successful, they're willing to push the envelope so far that they'll fail, but that's their learning opportunity. If you're comfortable, mm. you're never going to be successful. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable, in fact, relish in it, right? And I think that's yeah. the part that's is really, really important, but you've got to create that with your culture. And it's like people, embarrassments are really, you know, it's a lot of people are very insecure about it, but you can't be afraid of like, hey, I, I'm just going to get up and try it again. I've never been afraid of like making a horse's ass of myself. I'm like, you don't mm. learn unless you get on with it. And I think those are the things in the culture that you create, you know, that is going to, if you like cultivate excellence because it's in that environment where you get better because you're pushing yourself. And I think as a coach, yeah. that's what we're always trying to do. And remember for the average golfer, golf's pretty intimidating. Like I laugh when people talk about that. They're pretty good athletes. And as I'm going to go play in a golf tournament and I'm like, well, I go, well, I'm waiting for the, the phone call afterwards to be like, man, that's really difficult. That's like nerve wracking, <laughs> like playing in a tournament. <laughs> and I'm like, deal. Yeah, it's a totally different skill. It's not like anything else. Like, so again, it's, it's trying to get people to understand these are all normal things, but you've got to kind of work through it on the mm. continuum to, to being the best player you can be. And as our buddy McCabe says, you know, trending towards your capacity and stretching your own capacity to, to play well. So I think those are all things I try and really stress. And I think the good thing you have with experience, right, is you get a little bit of wisdom. And as you get old, you get a lot of wisdom. So, but the reality is you can 
infer to people that this is all normal. This is going to happen. You've got to be comfortable with it. Don't worry. This is all part of the process. And I think we kind of lose that a little bit. Um, I know we've talked about like in a lesson environment, if you're just in like a teaching center and you're just in a, like a really square box, you lose that organic feel of playing the game and, and it's a totally different animal. So once you get on the golf course, we've talked about this with players, you can, that's something I'm passionate about is trying to explain to them how to play the game. And I think as a fraternity, that's something that we need to do a better job of because at the end of the day, we're giving them the skills to be able to go play the game and playing the game in itself is a whole nother skill. Yeah. 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 I, I certainly, I certainly get that. Uh, it's something that we don't do enough of uh, and we're a little bit handcuffed. Don't you think? And, and, and certainly referring to teaching the everyday golfer. And I want to talk a little bit about the everyday golfer teaching them versus teaching tour players and what the difference is. Uh, I find that oftentimes just time constraints handcuff, handcuff uh, somebody like myself predominantly and a little bit you uh, in working with the everyday golfer because it is in that box and it is in that, you know, that level lie and let's hit another ball and there's no real consequence to that. And how do you deal with this situation? Um, what do you think about that? How, how do we handle that? How do we upgrade that? Yeah, so I, I, it's a great question. I think the, the goal is, yes, we, most people come to us because they perceive that they have a technical or a skill issue, so they need to work on that first to be able to go play the game. Well, there's that train of thought, and then there's the other train of thought that you learn the skills by going and playing the game. Regardless, golf course access, to your point, is difficult and it's time-consuming. So I think mm. the best model is like, we have these golf courses that are all that look great. They've got miles and miles of cart path. They've got bunkers all over the place. You could put a beach resort out there. The reality is they're too hard. You need golf courses like municipal yeah. golf and a really simple golf course. I'm sure when you grew up in SA and me in the UK, like simple golf courses with push up greens, not really any bunkers, but people just getting out and hitting shots. That's framing yeah. them and giving them an awareness. I think we need more facilities and more access to things like that. Even if you set up a golf course on your driving range, you've just got to do things that get people to go get familiar with hitting golf shots or getting them on the golf course. And the only way for us to do that in a scalable manner is realistically in groups of threes or fours. And unfortunately, yeah. remember, beginner golfers are really slow too. So the downfall <laughs> is it's you've got to do it in offsides, off time. So it's, it kind of takes some if you like planning, but I think logistically the challenge is definitely the access. If you can do it, people also need to understand that there's a massive value in the time that you would spend with an instructor in a playing pod, let's call it, for you know four or five hours. It might cost you a little bit more, but in the big picture, you're probably gonna learn a lot more. Or even if it was in nine hole increments, I yeah. think in a group of three or four or five, that, that's huge. So to me, that's really the only solution. We're mm. fortunate here in Birmingham. We do that. Like we play the courses really short and we do it on off days because we have a two course facility. So we have seven days open, two days are always off on one of the courses. So yeah. we can kind of do that. And we do that with our juniors and our beginners at every level. And then we have what we call um, fast tees, which are basically in the middle of fairways starting. They're, they're vary from let's say 120 to about 215 yards. And essentially you can go out right. and play 18 holes with a few clubs in a really quick amount of time. So it's all about getting them out there and, get, and getting them access and exposure 
to playing. So to me, you've got to do it in a group setting because that makes it affordable for the, the average person. And then it's finding the access. But again, that comes back to culture. It's making people understand us as coaches and teachers, we're a lot more than just fix my slice or fix my hook. Mm. We certainly should be. Yeah. And then I think that's part of the thing. If you, if you look at most of the good instructors, they're actually pretty comp they can play pretty competently. And so if they're giving advice to the best players in the world, a lot of them, then they're going to really be able to help the average golfer who tactically and strategically are absolutely just incompetent. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I'm just yeah. saying like, they're just not good at it. Right. So mm. I think that that's the part It's changed the culture and the mindset of, Hey, look, Andrew Rice is doing a, a playing lesson. You guys can sign up. There's going to be four of you. There's a massive value to that, that people I don't think understand. And you can do that kind of in your golf school arena that you do, which I yeah. think is really cool. And we do that on our camps and our sort of programming and our, the way we structure our programming and our coaching for our members. We use a lot more of what I would say a coaching culture, like they have practice days. They have days when they're, they do, we do some fitting with them. We have days when they're on the golf course in like, what I call a different scenario. Like we put them in the trees. Okay. How would you get it to here? They're in a group. So there's a bit of peer pressure, right? It's not, it's quite funny. And invariably we do those in the evenings. Most of them drink when they play golf. So I'm like, for goodness sake, don't turn up sober when you do this. Cause if you play <laughs> golf with a buzz, you need to be practicing with a buzz. So th then we'll do some of, if they want to do workouts, we'll do short game stuff. We'll do just like walk the range when there's a group of them there. So you're really giving them the same environment if you like that you would give the best players in the world, you're just scaling it down. And, you know, to your point, the fun thing about the average golfer is the average golfer, most of them golf addicts who are our clientele who are great is they're all into what you're trying to do. And they just want someone to show them the way and they're enthusiastic. And the, the great thing about the club golfer is most of them leave and they're going to go, they've gone to their job and they're going to do what they're going to do. They can kind of leave it. Yeah, they're passionate about it, but they, they're never at the point where it's the, the end of the world, right? Some of them a little bit, but not really. But the tour players, the other end of the spectrum, it's like everything you do has an impact on their ability to earn money, how they're going to play, blah, blah, blah. So the, the best part about the club golfer is this Petri dish and exploration of what can I try? How can things work? So like you take information from folks that, are influencing you like our buddy Sasha McKenzie or the folks at Ping, just guys, you know, engineer type based stuff. And then you go out there and then you mess with it, right? With a club golfer, the consequence, you can see some really cool stuff and you learn a lot. That's an opportunity. Then you can, if you've seen enough sample size to say that actually works pretty good, they might be onto something here. Now I can try that with a better player, but I'm, invariably hesitant to just jump in with something even if it's scientifically correct until i've figured out my unique way to recipe that up to give it to a good player and that's why i'm so passionate about the club golfer because they're essential to you being a great teacher the more eyeballs you get on people and the more you do something the better you get if you only ever coach the best players you're missing a learning opportunity and to me that's that's a part as a coach the more I learn, the dumber I feel. So I'm like, hey, I gotta exactly. get my I, I gotta get my reps in, right? I gotta keep I gotta keep practicing and get better at it. And then we see friends like of ours, Chuck Cook, he's 70 something and he's still going strong. I'm like, 
good God, I got about 35 years to get to that. So it's like, okay, I, I got to keep getting better. And I don't think you get better by just going and teaching tour players and then sitting on ice and then going back out and teaching tour players because you're not refining mm. your skill and your eyes and your the way that we, we're critical thinkers, right? We're problem solvers. The way that you go mm. about that is by practicing it. You don't get better by not doing it. Yeah. Kind of like golf. Yeah, kind of like golf. You know, no one will get better listening to this podcast, but you may no. get an idea that you can put into practice. I still remember many, many years ago, Martin, Chuck and I were driving down the road somewhere to some golf school we were doing. And I said to him, I said, Martin, do you remember the last time you thought as a coach, you knew it all? And he laughed and he said, you know, it's been it's been a couple of decades since I had that thought, but I, I really do think for, for young coaches out there, it's a good thing to think that you know it all because it means you're passionate. It means you're trying. Uh, unfortunately, you're not right. You don't know it all, but that's just because you're young. And as you get, you know, someone said the other day, they said, the further you get from the beach, the deeper the water gets. And that's so, so true as a coach is, the longer I coach, the more I realize I don't know enough. I don't know enough and I've got to keep learning. And that's exactly what you mean saying there. Yeah. And I think the other thing that people fail to realize is you're going to get learned. If we take the medical communities, like the way they work, people are generalists and people are specialists and they're not afraid to refer. The biggest problem we have in golf is people are afraid to refer. And like, I got mm. no problem calling somebody up. I know there's people that are better at certain things than I am. If a player has a deficit, right, that I, my skill set and my bucket isn't, that isn't in my wheelhouse, it's not going to be great for me. So, like, when you take yeah. the best players in the world, that definitely happens, right? Because sure. certain players have a shortcoming or an area that they need to work on, which will catapult them to the next level. They're all a bit like an underperforming stock because Dustin Johnson does not just walk onto your doorstep. Our boy, Alan Terrell's done a fantastic job with him for years and years and years. And then the Harmons have obviously been influential too, but that's not the norm. So when a tour player comes, comes to me, they're coming because they're not doing very well. If they ask me to help them and they have a deficit that's in my wheelhouse, what, what I think is my strong suit, that's really good. If they ask me for help and I don't have that skill set, it's not good because I'm paid on commission and it's a bad matchup. Like I'm not going to optimize what they're doing. So I'm going to be like, you know what? You should go see X because she or he is really good at this. And that's where your deficit is. And we look at your stats alarmingly you might think it's the hey i don't get the ball very well but i'm like well your greens and regulations like really high you're in the 70 percentile you don't have a problem hitting the ball your problem is oh look at your strokes game putting it's like negative one point whatever you need to go see phil kenyon or john graham right like so i think yeah. that that if you can have that as your if you like driver and if you're doing your due diligence like that, that's huge. So referring out to specialists and knowing what when you're not good at something, that actually is a massive strength and makes you better. Or you have to bring that person into a team. So I think with our the good thing with a club golfer, though, you can always call your buddies and send a video or ask them and, you know, pick up the phone. So I think yeah. that's something I see in other other um if you like industries that I don't always see in ours, but I think it's, it's happening. Like the more of these podcasts and the more that people actually connect, 
that they don't really know, all of a sudden there's a connection. It's like, you know what, I might call Andrew or I might call Jason or I might, you know what I mean? That kind mm. of breaks some barriers. And at the end of the day, there's more golfers than we can ever coach. So podcasts like this, we, we're trying to help people and understand sure. there's, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat and we all see something a little differently. Doesn't mean that we're that one person's wrong. They may just have a different way to do it. Sometimes a different way to do it just gets you there more effectively and more quickly. And I think that's the part that we look at. It's like everyone who's been teaching golf a long time that's successful is a great teacher and a great coach. You just got to figure out, like, is that going to be the recipe that works best for me? And that's the way I look at it. Like, I try and be agnostic. I know a lot of times I'm not going to have the right information, but that's why I have a lot of smart people, like, in my circle to yeah. ask them and check my work, if you like, right? Mm. So. Mm. And I know, you know, even for the everyday golfer, you said earlier, they're dead keen. They're all in. They love the game. They live, eat, sleep, breathe golf. Uh, so many of them want to get better in certain areas and they're prepared to put the work in. And that's where I've got, I've got a fitness person. I've got a strategy person. I've got a mental person. I've got a club fitting person. And I'm, I'm dishing those players out to because my expertise doesn't overlap quite as much as I would like for it to overlap, certainly into the fitness realm, for example. And so I'm going to push those people to those experts so that they can get more of what they're looking for. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think that's the, the part is, remember, if you're passionate about what you're doing, so if you're a passionate club fitter and you're really good about it, you want to send that person there because it's the experience. Like yeah. that person is all they do. They're really good at it. Now, if someone wanted a bottle of wine, they should probably come to your house. You're a pretty good sommelier, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so, but it's like, we're, we're, we all have a skill set. Like, like if you want pragmatic, like practical, like putting, taking something complicated and giving it to you simply, I'm really good. If you need yeah. something that's really abstract and philosophical, that isn't necessarily my wheelhouse. I do some of that, but that's not what I'm going to hang my hound. There are other coaches that are great. Foles is great at that, right? Yeah, but the pl yeah. Some players need that. Some players will not want that at all. And that's the opposite of what they need. So again, the player personality is very much going to dictate whether it's successful or not. And you just have to be authentic to yourself. The great thing for the average golfer though, is that you can find a coach that's going to do that. And I encourage you to find someone you enjoy spending time with too. Remember that's important. Yeah. Like your golf coach is the person that you're going to call and you go to my phones like blows up all the time because the average golfer is wants to get better. They send me videos. They're asking questions. Like they want to know someone cares about their golf game. And to me, that's the really important part. And good coaches care, right? They're into yeah. you help. It's important to me, like the average golfer, who's one of my students they're just as important as a tour player because they're into it. And I see them all the time, right? They're the real world. They're going to be a constant. They've been here. I've worked with them for 10 years. Tour players tend to come and go a little bit, but the reality is with the club golfer, it's all about the relationship and trying to, and finding a coach that can help you do that. That's the important part because golf's a lifelong learning expedition. It's not, you're not going to yeah. be great. It takes a while. No one ever got really good, really fast. No, it doesn't happen, unfortunately. Although we would be led to believe on Instagram that that could happen. Uh, just There's no bad. Sorry, go ahead. 
it just unfortunately doesn't work like that. No, there's no bad days on social media. Have you not noticed that? No, no bad days. It's, it's, it's like Happyville. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. Not um, the real world. Mark, if, if you were, if you were to, if you could say and put out via social media, one 30 second piece of information for the everyday golfer, what would you say? Okay. So if you're trying to score well, this is, sounds really simple. Always be putting uphill, chipping uphill, try and leave your ball below the hole. Anytime you're above the hole, you're going to have more tilt. You're going to have more slope. It's going to be faster. You're going to have less control of your golf ball. So always think strategically you're playing A to B. Forget technique, but just think about, it's a bit of a chess game. Okay, where do I leave my ball that gives me the least stressful net shot? And the reality is if the ball is always below the hole, that's going to be really easy for you to make more putts. It's easier to chip uphill. You're always controlling the ball into the winds also actually pretty good. I think people forget and they, they, they try and make things more complicated, but tactically and strategically, the more you can keep your ball below the hole, reduce the amount of breaks. And when people say, Hey, get pin high, sometimes that's the absolute worst place you could possibly be because yeah. it doesn't work. So like I tell everyone when we're out on the golf course, make sure it stays below the hole. They look at me like that. And I'm like, okay, well, let me show you. Because pretty much most greens are planar. You're below the hole. Yeah. The putt's pretty straight. It makes life easy. So those are the, the small nuances. That would I, that's what I'd tell the average person. Uphill. That, that's interesting. I, I find, I always think to myself, okay, what's the easiest way for just golfers to get better? And invariably, I come up with two things. The, the lowest hanging fruit. Strategy. That's what you were just talking about and statistics. Keep your own numbers. Learn where you're actually, not where you think you're good and where you think you're bad. Learn where you're actually not good. Practice that and you'll be better. Yeah, 100%. And that's, unfortunately, even the best players in the world do not want to practice what they're not great at, right? Yeah. It's, it's, and so the club golfer is no different. That's probably the biggest similarity, right? Let's say you're really good at hitting a seven iron but you stink with a wedge and chipping let's say you're not a very good short game player on the pga tour you're probably going to go hit a lot of seven irons because it's gratifying and you get around the green and it's like woo, no okay <laughs> club golf yeah. is the same right so yeah. again remember when i talked about vulnerability and being willing to like fail you've got to learn to play put be uncomfortable in the areas that you're not good at because then you can turn those into a strength and if you look at say someone like Tiger, he was really good at that. Things that he wasn't as good at, mm. spent time around people that were great and he became amazing at it. And I think in small increments, to your point, that's going to help you get better. At the same time, if statistically you're a club golfer and you're really, really bad at something, learn how to play around it. That's the other part. Sure. Like with technology and tactically speaking, you can play around stuff. Like if you're really bad at a 40-yard wedge shot and a close shot, you can kind of play around that with different shots, like learning to hit fairway woods and hybrids off the fairway, like running them up, or you just never put yourself in that position. You may lay up to a different number, blah, blah, blah. So again, to your point, I agree with you. Both, both of those things are, are ways to do it. Um, if someone's looking at, 
okay, well, what's the best way to hit the ball better? I'm like, well, just hit it in the middle of the face. If you can hit it in the middle of the face, now yeah. you've got a chance to actually know what the club face is doing. If you start hitting it off the sides, you're living in the world of gear effect and you're not going to, your brain's going to be completely bedazzled. But from a, from the low hanging fruit, I'd agree a hundred percent with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet so many golfers are looking outside that realm. They're looking outside that they're, they're shooting for the top of the tree. They're trying to get that, that high fruit there. Yeah. hundred no, percent. Um, Mark, I wanted to ask you, you've spent many, many hours over the years on a golf course and you must've seen some pretty spectacular things happen. Some great yep. stories, some some things happen. I know I've seen some of those over the years. You've got to have some gems. Uh, what you got? Oh, it's great. Um, I think that I look back, like some of the things I've seen are just blow my mind in terms of shots. Like I watch people hit. I'm like, how on earth did you do that? And then they might do it again, something very similar. And so those things are quite impressive. Um, one of the things that probably was the most impressive last year. So two things, one of them I didn't see, but these are both players I coach. So I'm being a bit biased, but I tend to be very, how's the best way to say this? I tend to be um, very um, sort of aware of what my guys are doing. And as my other players tell me, I'm not very good at what players I don't coach are doing, but I've always been like of the mindset, Hey, it's one of those things where I'm into my players. I'm not really out there to be sure. social. So, so again, yeah. all right. So I've got, and I have one, which is a golfing moment, which I was part of in, in, in person, because I was coaching one of the players in the group, which is interesting too. So I'll give you three things. So last year in Hawaii, I don't know if you saw it, Ches hold out like three times with wedges in the same round. I think he had three Eagles, which was quite interesting with a wedge. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Um, the one thing I saw last year. So, Hoffman um, at Workday. So Workday was, it was at Memorial, right? So he's up in the bunker on the 10th hole, which goes this way, up in the face. I guess he's got 160, 170 yards. And he, the harder shots are with Charlie, the better he is. Easy shots, he'll screw it up because he doesn't quite paint the picture. He doesn't quite get into it like he probably should. He's up in the face and he hits it to like this, makes a birdie. And then he does it again from a nut. He hits like three in the face, 160 to 180 yard bunker shots. And he hits them all in the leather. And I'm like, how do you do that? Like I've watched a lot of golf and those shots That's are amazing. like really, really good. And he goes, I don't know. It's just the harder they are, the more I focus and I get on with it. So the learning there is be into the shot and don't, you know, overthink it. Like just mm. get on with it, be into it. And your outcome is going to be better, which is quite interesting. Cause I'd be like, me personally, feel like I'm a pretty good player. I'm hoping I make four and probably making three fives. And he's just made three threes. Yeah. So there you go. Um, the best, my best golf story. Okay. So in 2008, I started coaching, or 2007, I started coaching Robert Carlson. And in, in 2008, he got to like number six in the world. He finished top 10 in all the majors. So at Torrey Pines, if everyone remembers Tory Pine, somebody played on a broke leg. The brick, yeah. Okay, so on Saturday, Robert was paired with Tiger. So I walked 18 holes, and when he chips in on uh, 15 or six, whatever, 
I'm around that green. And I said to myself, he's going to chip this in before he chips it in. And sure as shit, he chips it in. And the energy and like, that's part of golf history. Like, but to be there, like greenside, watch that happen. Like, I know, know that's going to happen. And like, you've got goosebumps and you got, I mean, just the, the energy of that was incredible but to be there live and see it and just watch that round of golf and it was pretty historic for what he did right so it's those are things which i would say i would say uh are pretty cool just because that's a part of history right you can watch that and go okay i was at that tournament and then what's really interesting is you start to remember all those things that lead up to that do you know what i mean and so it's that those are some of the things and then what i would say is always interesting is when you're playing with a player in the practice round during the week and you're like, man, that looks a little bit different this week. He looks pretty good. Like, and then that person goes on to win. It's like, wow, that's cool. Like, so those are the things that you take and you take you, I guess you take for granted because you're part of like, if you think of this moving ensemble of this big production, that's what the PGA tour is, right. Or the LPGA tour. And you're there and you, you're like a small part in it. Like you're like a chorus person. You're not even a, a major player, but just to be part of that and see what goes on. Those are the things that are really interesting. And then to see how these tournaments work and to like be there before anyone gets there. And then you're there till the end of the day. And then to see the players and to see what happens. It's, it's actually, uh, it's really interesting. It's, and some of those things are just fascinating to me. So they're, they're all they're all really cool experiences. And then one of the things I would say, team matches are pretty interesting. Ryder Cups, President's Cups. And what players do, like, obviously they get a little nervous, but some of the shots you see players hit, and I've seen my players hit in tournaments, I'm like, well, how did you do that? Well, it's well totally different because I'm not worried about the score. I'm just worried about that one shot. So the yeah. consequence is different to me. I'm not thinking potentially like I would in a golf tournament. So it's really interesting. So some of the things you, that's why I think you see some of this incredible stuff in a, um, if you like president's cup or a Ryder cup, because it's different. Like everything is really the shot that they're hitting right now. And so they try stuff and do stuff that they wouldn't necessarily do. Cause if it doesn't come off, it's not like it's going to, could be a double bogey. This is the whole. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I think some of those things are really interesting to watch. So if you want to see the creativity and the excellence of someone, those are things that I would really be aware of because players are thinking about holding shots from the fairway, taking it on, doing things. And they'll tell you, like, I thought I, I, thought I was going to hold that shot. Like, and a lot of times they do. And it's like, well, you're 160 yards out. Yeah, but I was so focused. So those are things that are incredible to me because – the task is slightly different and the environment's different, but you start to see how well they perform and, and the things that they're able to do. And so those things to me are fascinating because that actually gives you a snapshot into what is possible if you're in the right state of mind. So again, those, yeah. those are things that um, are pretty interesting. There's a lot of funny ones too, but they're just not suitable for uh, golf fanatics, I'm afraid. <laughs> There are. I know you've got some gems. I've got a few gems. I'll I'll never forget Tony Finau. I got to interview Tony during uh, the early part of 2020. And uh, I said to him, you know, Tony's idol is Tiger Woods. And I said, was standing on the first tee for the 2019 Masters on Sunday. 
in the final group with Tiger, the most nervous you've ever been? He said, no, that was a different time. And so he told the story about the team event in the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne at the end of 2020. And he, and he goes through this whole story and about how he gets nominated to be the second guy out. Tiger goes out first and the US team needs points. And so Tony, essentially Kuchar nominates Tony in the team room and says, um, I've got someone who I know should go and it's Tony. He's hitting it great. He's got to go and get points. So Tony's like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. So he's going out on the Sunday, I believe it was the last day. And he has said to his guy, Tiger, I'll get you points. And so Tony is, they're playing the 10th hole. He's playing Hideki. And he's in the back bunker and Hideki's got a 10 foot birdie putt to go five up through 10. And, and all he goes through the whole deal as to what happens, but Tony wins the 17th hole to go all square. And he says he literally floats up the hill to the 18th tee box and he comes around the corner and there's, his guy, Tiger, who's finished this match, I think he beat Answer quite handily that day. He's standing on the 18th tee, arms folded, no smile on his face. And he says, that's the most nervous I've ever been in my life. He says, I couldn't swallow. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't look at Tiger. He says, my hand was shaking so much. I barely got the ball on the tee. And he says, I don't know what I did, but I just got, I just got down and I looked up and this ball was going a low little two-year-old fade down the middle of the fairway. And he says, I'm going to win this match. And he actually, he had a 20-footer to win the match, which he just missed, but he got the half point. And that's uh, awesome. Kind of a cool story. I really, I did enjoy hearing that story about the most nervous Tony Fina has ever been. Uh, Mark, you and I, you know, we don't get to play very much, but I know that both of us, having had some previous discussions, we love to play golf and we love to see and experience great golf courses. If yep. there was one, and I'm going to ask this question two ways for you. Uh, if there was one course that you would claim to be the greatest golf course on the planet, which one would it be? And hold off. And the second question is, if there was one course that you could belong to, and it might be the same place, but if there was one course you could be a member at, uh, which one or ones would it be? Let's go with question one first. Greatest course you've ever seen or played or witnessed? Uh, so that's such a good question. Um, so I would say in terms of the history, the ambience, the experience, and if you actually look at it, the way it plays with the weather and stuff, St. Andrews is pretty special just because of that answer, just, just because of the way it is, the way it is. Right. I mean, yeah. you look at it and it can be really benign and then the wind gets up and it's a different animal. Like I guess night, I'm trying to think what year it was. I mean, I was there one year and I spent most of Wednesday in a tent because it was raining sideways. The year Louis won. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There was a big disparity in the draw that year. Oh, I, think. I was coaching that year. I had Robert and Heath in there and Heath was one of the only like three guys that made the cut in the wave he was in. Like yeah. it was so like yeah. you got screwed with, with the wave. But um, so, and then 
that golf course so it can play like ridiculous and then it can play so easy and when it's a bright sky and you've got the old course hotel you've got the clubhouse it's the home of golf it's just kind of different right now i know that's not i'm fortunate played augusta i've played most of the courses that have had major championships they're all great but they don't it's just not quite the same there's just something about the town of saint andrews and walking around and like Somebody can be walking their dog. You got the Swinkling Bridge, and you got Arnold Palmer on there. You got Jack Nicklaus. You got all these people. So yeah, if yeah. you think of every everybody that's played the game that we love, Hogue, they've all been there, right? Mm. Do you know what I mean? So like St Andrews for me, because of that, I think is is like so special. It's but it's not necessarily the best because it's the best golf course. It's the best because of all that goes with it. Does that make sense? And the sure, fact that yeah, anybody. Anybody can go play that golf course. You might have to get up at 2 a.m. and wait. Anybody can go play that golf course. And if you, if you look at the way it's just designed and some, I think it's kind of cool. So that would be the one that I would say um, I would I would probably, um, that would be my favorite. Just because of okay. everything I've got with it. Now, so this next one is a great question. But. I always look at golf courses. What's a golf course that I would enjoy playing? I like the views. Like it's an easy walk. If I was 85 years old and I had a trolley, could I walk around it? Blah, blah, blah. So you like the feel of, of the, just being there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so there's so many different places that are different. Cool. But obviously I'm a big fan of, of the visuals. And so I would say, the ocean course at Monterey Peninsula is the views are just incredible. Like because you've got more holes on the water than they say you do at Pebble. Pebble's cool, but Pebble's got a lot of inland holes as well that aren't like, and Monterey's not, they play the tournament out there, but it's just got some holes. Once you, you, you start, you tee off by the clubhouse and you come down and then you come up and then you, you come out, like you play the first three holes and then you're, you start to come out and then all of a sudden you're just out on the ocean and you've got these massive Pacific waves banging up like it. And you just play along it and, yeah. the, vi and the, the winds there. It's just a cool, like if you go in with a group socially and obviously the fun thing about most of the times I go to these courses, you're walking. Yeah. So that's a big part to me as well. Carts suck. Like carts are great for a lot of things. <laughs> But carts suck because you lose the social experience. You don't really have any interaction with people. So I like the mm. walking. and the, So I kind of like that about 70 degrees, 65 to 70 mild wind Monterey Peninsula would be somewhere I'd love to be a member because you can just do it every day. Like the course is, it's just cool and it's different. Now, there are other places, don't get me wrong, like Royal Melbourne, not been there, but I'd love to see that place. There's other places, but the reality is it's one of those things where I, Monterey Peninsula has a soft spot for me. I don't know why, but it's just kind of really cool. Neat, neat. I like that. It's so interesting for me to hear because invariably when I ask the question in that two-part fashion, everybody has a different answer for the club they would like to belong to versus their best golf course the coolest golf course and it's not necessarily the same so i love to hear that i love to hear that uh, mark what we're going to do now 
we're going to close out. Um, but, uh, you know, this has been so cool. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insight. And really, the thing that comes across to me is your passion. You have a passion for doing what you do, my friend, and you're very, very good because of it. Uh, I, I, I know you're going to get to that Chuck Cook level if you just keep doing what you do. Uh, <laughs> don't hurt yourself, you know, take care of yourself. But we're going to finish off with some fast finish questions here, uh, and then we'll close it out. Uh, these are questions that I ask to just about every guest on the podcast. And I'm going to tweak them a little bit. There's 10 of them. And all I'm, I'm going to give you an A and a B and you say which one you like. Okay. Okay. Uh, I do I'll have a, bo a bonus question at the end for you. Pebble Beach or Augusta National? Pebble Beach. Caddyshack or Tin Cup? Caddyshack. Carry or Caddy? Mm, caddy. I like your style. <laughs> Jack or Tiger? Tiger. Open Championship or the US Open? Open Championship. Best Iron Player or Best Driver? Best Iron Player. Oh, you're the first. You're the first person to pick that. That's what I would pick too. Uh, but everyone goes for the driver. Uh, Annika or Mickey Wright? Mm, Mickey Wright. Lynx or Parkland? Definitely Lynx. Agreed. Rolling Stones. I grew Stones. up on a Parkland. Yeah, well, I'll, so. <laughs> I'll never forget the first. I'll never forget the first time I laid. I, I went over uh, in the late '90s with my dad and a couple of buddies to. Uh, we went to Ireland, and the first time we pulled up in the parking lot at Tralee, and I looked at that and I got chills, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that is amazing!" And I still have that feeling to this day. I love it, love it, love it. Um, Rolling Stones or Beatles? Beatles. Major championship or money list? Major. Cool. And the bonus question, which has been crafted especially for you today, Mark. <laughs> uh, Liverpool Football Club or New Orleans Saints? God dang, that's a difficult one. <laughs> that's why we make it. Oh, that's really difficult. Um, I'll tell you what. Here's my answer. My answer. <laughs> you can't wiggle. You can't wiggle. Come on. The Saints you... games last longer, so I'm going with the Saints game. There's more enjoyment. Oh, you're you're gonna get some. You're gonna get some messages on that phone later on. <laughs> um, no, that's cool. That's cool, Mark. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom. And I know this as a coach. I certainly get a lot out of listening to you and sharing time with you. Uh, I know that golfers of every caliber should have something that they can take away from our time together today. So uh, keep it up, mate. You're doing a fantastic job. Uh, I, I learned from you. So many learned from you. And thanks for all you do, eh? No, great. I really enjoyed it. And we need to do a golf school in 2021 together. So um, that'll be fun. If given the opportunity, we are definitely going to make it happen. 
All right, Q3, Q4, 2021, Rice Blackburn Golf School. Look for it. Look for it. I can't oh, wait. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Take Bods. care. Take See care, you. eh? Bye. See ya. Bye.